0: ladies and gentlemen boys and girls all points in between and outside of that spectrum welcome in to episode 16 of the warriors of lust podcast your girl is back in charge the enemy of innocence callie page
1: and i of course am the insatiable jiraku drake
2: and as always i'm temptress of fate serena hima
0: welcome back everybody welcome in we're actually recording an episode on time it's the first time in season two I think we've managed to do that we're quite excited about it and we want to send a very happy Halloween to all of our viewers out there I believe when this episode releases on Sunday it will be all Hollows Eve Devil's night uh, I should say and uh, we're yeah what's that uh, uh,
2: the Sunday is the 30th
0: so it'll be the night before right devil's night i
2: thought halloween was the devil's night
0: oh i thought devil's night was the night before halloween maybe hmm. i'm wrong i don't know i thought that's what that was anyway are uh, you it, questioning a goth about that's what i mean halloween? Like, that's what anyone else i would have been like no of course it's the night before but it's serena and i'm like oh actually i might be wrong on that, that one I, I would take her word for it so <laughs> anyway i i guess i guess happy halloween eve then uh, Welcome in, everybody. We have a great episode for you tonight. Uh, we do have to make a special announcement because before the next episode, a warrior of lust will have gotten married. They will? It's Who? true. <laughs> it is true. Serena is getting yeah. married on Halloween.
2: I am. Woohoo. So,
0: obviously, being our resident goth.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you getting married on Halloween is not horribly surprising. Uh, is it just because it's Halloween, or is it like to make remembering the day easier? What was the impetus for getting married on Halloween?
2: So, um, as I would like to say, my mother has put it. She has known I was going to be married on Halloween since I was about twelve years old.
0: Uh. Is that because you <laughs> told her when you were twelve years old you were going to get married on Halloween? Probably okay fair enough
2: she's just like i knew you're getting married on halloween i just never knew what year and here we are <laughs> so those are the words of my mother
0: um and uh how are you and uh the future mr Hema doing
2: we are doing pretty good mm-hmm. um i work my last shift until november 15th tomorrow well thursday mm-hmm. um and then i don't work until for like two and a half weeks
0: Okay, well that'll be very nice.
2: And then so, Yes. Huh? No. Go on. Oh, I thought you were saying something. And then um I don't know. I have a lot of family coming in. <laughs> it's I all of my family's coming in. All of yeah. his family's already here. Oh boy. <laughs> so Oh, it's a lot.
0: <laughs> it is a lot. a lot. Let me tell you, I mean, if it's anything like my wedding was, it was Stress, 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 stress until we got to, like, we were at the location and into our clothes. And once we were, like, there dressed and makeup was done, everything was just easy after that. I don't know how else to describe it, Everything, but everything just kind of melted away. My cousins who had already gotten married were just assuring me, they're like, no matter what happens, it'll be perfect. And I cannot agree more with that sentiment. Uh, if you're there with the right person, no matter what happens on that day, it will be perfect.
2: Yeah, I'm just—I'm excited. I—I'm real excited. I'm nervous about my vows, but I think most people usually are.
0: I would say so. I know I was <laughs>
2: shaking. So, I yeah, love. I, it. Oh, I wrote stuff, guys. I wrote stuff. I you know?
0: know. Oh my god, I'm so excited! I can't oh. wait. Uh, I and congratulations, of course, from the, the Warriors <laughs> of Lust. We wish you all the happiness in the world. We're now. Two thirds of the warriors of Lust are now going to be married. Draku, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Miss Drake is going to be asking questions in the near future. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Is, is Maybe. We're wondering, like you know, when are we going to? You know, when is uh pointing pointing at her finger?
1: I think that that's going to be fine. Okay. Oh. <laughs> oh. I think everything's going to work
0: out on that front. I will. Okay, then. Well, we'll uh, we'll look forward to some exciting announcements in the future, then. Uh, but it is uh, it's interesting that we you know we do the Warriors of Lust podcast, and of course, uh, a, a big part of the show, and maybe the biggest part of the show is us you know thirsting mercilessly over the many beautiful denizens of Atheris, and uh, it's it, it's kind of that interesting thing of you know two thirds of the cast are about to be uh, married, and uh, it's. I just want to say it hasn't stopped me at all from thirsting, so I somehow doubt it will for Serena either.
2: No. (laughs) Well,
0: (laughs) uh, congratulations again. And getting into the spirit of Halloween, I thought we should go around real quick and say, uh, what's your warrior of light wearing for Halloween this year? Or, sorry, All Saints Wake, I should say. Vampire. Why vampire, (laughs) Dracu?
1: I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, I heard a song during my vacation this past week, Uh and I spontaneously decided I'm going to write a novel. (laughs) I do not talk about the plots or finer details of a novel that I Mm -hmm. begin writing, Mm -hmm. because this is a jinx that you should not fall into. Uh, But the word vampire is what I'm going to give you. And that's the only thing that I've had on my brain.
0: Ah, I see.
1: So I I maybe have 15 pounds weight, not currency, of Helsing on my desk right now.
0: (gasps) Well, can I tell you that that is one of my all-time favorite anime?
1: I have not seen the original Helsing anime. I have seen all of Ultimate, and I am going to tear through the manga.
0: Well, okay. Allow me to just go ahead and assure you that you've seen what you need to see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just, just watch Ultimate. You're and you're good. There's, there's the. You can watch like the first few episodes of the original where it follows the manga, and then it suddenly stops following the manga, and it gets weird. And I say that full well knowing that after the first few episodes of Ultimate, Nazis suddenly show up. So like, you know. There's it, nothing sudden about the Nazis. They don't come out of nowhere.
1: Ah, Obviously, they were the villains the whole time.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I will say the villain of the original Helsing anime is even more out of nowhere and confusing and doesn't make any sense. Um, so Helsing Ultimate was way better uh, in my opinion, uh, and uh, you should everyone should watch it at least at least once. It's one of my favorite. If you can if you can stomach the gore, because boy is there a lot of gore. If you were alive in 2005
1: and were aware viscerally in your soul, as everyone else who was around in 2005 was, of the definition, meaning, and proper use of the word edge,
0: and this does not sour you to something, you will enjoy Helsing Ultimate. Yeah, you, you sure will. And if you can't get through all of Helsing Ultimate, you can always watch the abridged version from Takahata One Hundred and One, uh, which is also very good. Ah, uh, I I don't like
1: that one as much because it feels like it was. I I like their I like his work with uh, Dragon Ball Z abridged, but well, the Helsing one feels more malicious towards the source material.
0: Oh, I see. That, that's interesting. I mean, that, I mean, DBZ is absolutely a deconstruction of DBZ and the ridiculousness that it was. But But it uh, also is, like, very loving. Yeah, it is very loving. And there are definitely moments... Yeah. Is not. (laughs) There are definitely a lot of moments of of Helsing Ultimate where it's like, yeah, you're really calling out some stuff that, um, like, I get why you go that way. That said, I just love Takahata as Alucard. I think he's amazing. Oh,
1: he is phenomenal in everything, and I want
0: to see more out of him. I just want to let him talk to me about anything he wants, as much as he wants. Basically, I'm not saying Absolutely. I'm not usually into guys, but I'd, I'd, I'd go for that voice. I'd drop to my knees for that voice. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, Serena, what's your wool wearing for Halloween this year? <laughs> um, <laughs> I forgot that's what we were talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> um, uh, hmm, that's and you're question. not allowed.
0: You're not allowed to say "slutty dragon" because that's every day. Oh, I literally almost just said a succubus.
2: So. <laughs> well, you can say a succubus.
0: That's yeah, fine. Like, let's you, go you, with a succubus. You, you can absolutely do it. Yeah, I'm. I'm yeah. all about that. Uh, I especially because like the, the designs for their succubus in this game are uh, a plus here, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I think for me. Uh, I think Callie, in the spirit of um, her ongoing obsession with zero and her need to fix her and her need to help her, uh, I think Callie's probably going as a as a nurse this year. I think that's gonna be the she's it's it's an oldie but a goodie. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I think she's gonna have to uh, go as a nurse this year so she can help heal. Zero, help help fix that broken heart and whatever other issues that she needs taken care of, preferably between her legs. I knew that was the
2: next one. That one's that probably
1: not.
0: not broken. Ah, uh, yeah, probably not. But, uh, no, it's, that's for sure, uh, I think, what Callie's going as, so... Uh, but we uh, hope you all have a wonderful Halloween, a wonderful All Saints Wake. If you haven't finished the event, make sure you do that. Uh, because if you're listening to this episode, I think you only have two days left to do it. Because I think uh, that event ends on Monday the 1st as we hit the uh, reset week. So make sure you take care of your All Saints Wake. Get that uh, emote and get your outfit. Because the outfit this year doesn't suck for once. So make sure you how. No. Actually- Dare
1: you! All Saints rewards are always the best every I, year.
0: I will say that um, in the early goings of this game, they were the best every year. That original witch's outfit was amazing and still used in a lot of co- in a lot of uh, glamours, even today. Mm-hmm. Um, I would but say even the latex witch outfit is really good. I would agree with that. Uh, there's just been a few of those outfits that have been okay, and the emo this year. I'm, I, I said it on Moogle Garand, which, by the way, you can check us out on uh, one of the most recent episodes of Moogle Garound where Serena and I were guests, and <laughs> we, had a, we had a fun time. We, as always, made everyone just a little bit uncomfortable, which is what we aim to do. Um, we talked a little bit about it. I am I tell you, I'm getting a little tired of, uh, of SE having discovered that they can just swap out a uh, resource for the eat emotes and not uh just call it a new emote oh it's a it's a cookie now is it because my hand covers most of it uh it's an apple now is it because my hand covers all of it like i will
1: uh for the record if you are listening to this in the far future uh that's moogle go round radio episode 155 ah this. thank you
0: uh, but yes, we, we got to uh, take part on their most uh, on that episode, and we had a great time. Uh, we uh, ch- chatted about a number of various things, mostly around the Halloween event and uh, who all we would take to a Halloween party. And uh, some of those answers got a little spicy.
1: <laughs> Did you end up getting to use those recordings I sent you?
0: You know what? I actually didn't because I couldn't find a good way to play them through Discord
1: oh that's depressing
0: yeah i couldn't i didn't have a good way of playing them through discord without loading them up onto like a kenku like um playlist and that but then it would take there's like always like a two second delay so to get it to come through at the right time i i tried is those is the short version of what i'm about to say to you i believe and forgive you thank you uh and on that note let's jump into the thirst down every week Every episode of Warriors of Lust, we try to take a little bit of time to appreciate and thirst over some of the many beautiful denizens of this wonderful game that we play. And uh, every week, we come to you with three new incredible people, except for that one time when I said Illbird, which will forever tarnish my record. Uh, That's correct. uh, Yes, it it does. Uh, However, we do have three new amazing uh, people for you to thirst over this week, and we will start with the person who was not available from Moogle Go Round Radio, uh, episode 155, Mr. Jiraku Drake. Who are you presenting for the Thirst Down today?
1: Well, uh, spoilers for the All Saints event. Uh, This event not only allows, but as part of completing it, requires you to transform into Mama Gruff,
0: which reminded (laughs) me
1: how fucking much I love that character. Is Mama she... Gruff
0: the scary clown lady?
1: No, she's the the fucking the, the hot chick with the pink hair.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, well, that's much more acceptable. Yeah. Okay. I thought she was a yeah, scary no. clown lady. I was going to lose my mind. No, no. <laughs> At least I don't think so. Oh yeah, the pink hair girl I who know. has my haircut. She's got the yeah, mohawk hair. Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. All right. The rainmaker hair. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. And I her tell eyes you I wanted that hair. Flag. I Oh my god, they are, I know. I wanted that hair in this game forever. And when it finally got put in the uh in the Gold Saucer it was like one of the happiest days ever cuz I was out of the game when the one year they had it in the Make It Rain event. Uh and they never put it back in any year after that. Even when I wasn't playing the game, I started resubbing during that event to just try and get that hair in case I ever came back to the game and it was never there. I was pissed. But finally they put it in the in the gold saucer and that made me happy.
1: It is one of the best haircuts in the entirety of the game across any any character. It's, it's so, so good. good.
0: It's so good. I But uh, yes,
1: yeah. I am so glad that they finally gave me the chance to be inside her. Hmm. Uh, oof. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, her glam is fabulous.
0: Uh, oh, oh yes, inside of her. Okay. Ah, mm-hmm. ha, ha, ha. Uh, my mind went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. hmm Uh, all right, Mama Gruff. Uh, I like. I, 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 I'm in full support. Uh, I think I still have a better one for this week. But, uh, Serena, tell us, uh, tell us who you got? Cause I saw you almost put Ariange.
2: Uh, I tried. So listen, we have our list from last season. I try I to do. look over it every time, but I definitely as we, have to wear my glasses when I look over the list because I probably fair. wasn't. Um so my entry for this week is our favorite manlet, Thankred.
0: I I somehow <laughs> I can't believe we've never said thank. Have we really <laughs> never said thank? No,
2: we've never said thank So I'm putting everyone's favorite little manlet gumbreaker on here.
0: Can I say no. that manlet is an incredible term for I, him?
2: He's, he's so I, tiny.
0: I feel the need to correct
1: something. Go ahead. Everyone's favorite manlet is obviously Pippin Alden. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna choose to pretend <laughs> I did not hear that. Shiraku walked right into that one. <laughs> I'm going to choose to pretend I didn't hear that.
0: Oh, that was good. Yeah. Ooh.
2: Ooh.
0: All right, so Thancred. Uh I mean, listen, It. Thancred has been through some phases over the this years. This is Thancred. This is Thancred. So I got to ask you, Serena, which, like, we've gotten to see a lot of different Thancreds since 2.0, right? We got we got original Thancred, and we got uh, edgy, broody, uh, one-eye-covered Thancred. We got daddy <laughs> Thancred, uh, and now we've got kind of, you know, the, the, the final modern take of Thancred. Which is your favorite Thancred?
2: So, I will say, um, since I I, I I started as a black mage, so you mm-hmm. start in Olda, you get a meet Thancred. You do. Um, I always thought it was funny when it just is like, handsome stranger, and I'm like, who? Do I even get to choose that he's a handsome stranger? They were just like, he is a handsome stranger. And I'm like, okay. We know <laughs>
0: As he's like, we know what you're about.
2: We know what you're about. And I was like, okay. <laughs> but I honestly, am a big fan of, um, <laughs> Shadowbringer and Endwalker. Yeah. Um, Think grid. Primarily Endwalker. Think grid.
0: It was, it was nice in Shadowbringers getting him to kind of see him kind of come full circle. And mm-hmm. like, finish up the story arc with uh uh with Minfilia and kind of make peace with her being gone and and in his pseudo adoption of Reen. Um uh yeah there there is very much something like in in Shadowbringer's Thank Rid where I was just like, you know what? You've gotten there for me because I didn't care for him before before Shadowbringers. Yeah. He was not one of my favorite characters by any stretch of the imagination. But I will say this I genuinely thought Thancred was going to die in Shadowbringers. Like, as we were going through Shadowbringers, I'm sitting like, they're about to kill this man. And, like, I keep giving them, like, the... I don't want to say the benefit of the doubt because it's not the right word, but I keep giving them, like, the thought of, like, they're about to kill this character off. And they just keep not doing it, of course. But, like, I, I genuinely got to... We were getting towards the, you know, the trolley part. And I'm sitting like, they are about to murder this man in front of us.
2: So I actually, like, I kind of got a little emotional when, you know, like, he disappears in Endwalker. Yeah. And I was like, hello?
1: (laughs) I really liked the way they did that because Mm -hmm. something that media, I, I remember reading a quote ages ago that was, um, death is rarely the perfect 50 second sequence that media portrays. Yeah, and it is all too often either much too short or much too long for comfort, mm. and that always has me notice when a character's just gone. Yeah,
0: like Thancred was. Yeah, um, well, and that was my thing. Like I, I remember getting to that final sequence in uh, as you start going to Ultima Thule and being like, and Thancred was just gone, and I'm like, well, there's no way that's the end of Thancred. There's no way it isn't way bigger of an event than that. And you get onto Ultima Thule and you're looking around and doing all your stuff, and I'm like, sitting there like, I I feel like he's gotta come back at some point. Like mm-hmm. and then Astinian goes, and now I'm like, Okay, well I'll I'll say this. They they picked two characters to have to go that were could arguably be said to be at the end of their character arcs, so it might make sense that they're not around in the next expansion or in 7.0 and beyond, whatever that story is going to look like. I could see it. Once we got to the Ea the and we lost Y'shtola and Urianji, I'm like, no way. There's no way they killed off Y'shtola. It's not possible. She's too big of a mascot for this game. I refuse to believe it. And at that point, I was like, all right, no, they're all coming back. There's no yeah. way.
2: I got just I got um really emotional just like he was like I'm like he's gone he's fucking gone like as everyone fully felt, started disappearing, I'm like okay, all right all right the joke's up we're good now.
0: <laughs> I- I'll say this, obviously SE knows that we the audience are pretty well aware of their proclivity to kill people only to reveal that they're not actually dead. Like mm-hmm. we we've seen them do this a few times. Uh, and by a few times, I mean every expansion like Clockwork. Uh, even knowing, at that point, after this section with the Ia, even knowing, okay, they're all coming back for sure, your final conversations with Graha before he disappeared, like, those got me really emotional. Mm-hmm. And then your last moments with Alphino and, and Alise, who, as far as characters go, they're fine, but I don't love them. Like, they weren't at all my favorite characters in in, in Final Fantasy fourteen did get me very emotional having that final sequence with them and l- seeing them kind of argue with one another about what has to be done and like make that sacrifice and for it's all build up to the end walker sequence was freaking masterful oh, uh yeah. even like i say knowing full well there's no way all these people are dead we will definitely get them back
2: yeah but it still was like a fun roller coaster. Yeah.
1: It, We're closing on a full year since Endwalker release, and that ending wild. is still incredible.
0: Yeah. It it really is. It, it really was this kind of masterful buildup of 10 years of this game as you're forced to just kind of walk along bearing all this weight on your own now and no longer having your allies with you. And it's like, they did a good job of actually making me kind of feel that and. I didn't think that was something they would be capable of eliciting from me um, at, at this point. in this, Like, if you had asked me in Stormblood if I would ever feel the way Endwalker made me feel, I would laugh at you and say, no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, no. Um, what were we doing? What were we talking about? We're oh, right. The thirst the thirst down. Down. We were thirsting. Yeah, somehow we got to uh, the Endwalker sequence from Thancred on the Thirstdown. Uh, Serena, excellent recommendation for the thing uh, for the first down i'm also going a little bit back in time for mine uh although to be fair the reason i am going back in time is actually because of more recent things that she was a part of mm-hmm. uh i am dropping miss fordola lupus uh into the thirst down she uh, i have a something of a problem with dangerous women i don't i don't know if you've picked up on that at all over our time Oh, no, not at all <clears throat> no, not at all obviously yeah. you don't or you would have picked zero for the thirst down you know what yeah. um, that hurts me in my in my in my soul hole uh that uh, that doesn't make me feel good there uh my oh. my, uh, my soul it's hole has so not rare feel... that
1: i don't make holes feel good
0: i, I like to say i don't it's know unusual how I experience for me <laughs> i was
2: gonna say, i don't know how i feel about soul hole um i just yeah. want to put that out there
0: listen to i you. i'm just gonna say my soul hole has not felt this sore since i beat three in shadowbringers Anyway, <clears throat> uh, Fordola, right. She is a very dangerous woman, and in the time of Stormblood, I did not particularly care for their attempt to do a redemption arc with her. Um, I thought she was pretty vile, and I thought she was meant to be a commentary on the idea of what happens to the next generation after occupation of a a territory which on its face is very interesting Mm -hmm. um but for her to get a a redemption story felt very ham-fisted especially as it as soon as we got into uh 4.1 and into the point x series of stormblood we started getting the exact same thing going on with um yotsuyu and i'm like hey can people just be evil actually because that would be fine people are allowed to just be bad guys, and at the time, I wasn't a fan of it. So I didn't even think about it. Years later, we're in Ed Walker and we have the role quests now. And interestingly, one of the role quests in Ed Walker deals very much with Fordola in the midst of her uh, redemption arc. Mm-hmm. And one of them deals with the fallout of Yotsuyu and her being uh, effectively forgiven by Hian. And whether or not he has the authority or the moral standing to be allowed to forgive someone like that for the the, the sins that she committed, and they were very interesting opposite tellings of one another of he and having to come to terms with the fact that it was not his place to allow her to be freed in that way or allow her to be forgiven in that way, and how many people in his empire still held a lot of rough feelings about that and how to deal with that. And on the other hand, seeing Fordola who has kind of walked through the muck that redemption often is, we like to think of redemption stories as being ones where at the end of them we're a hero again and we're loved again and we're celebrated and lauded again. And the reality of it is redemption is actually doing the right thing, knowing that you will never be loved and lauded in that way again and understanding that there is no going back to being a good person or being seen as a good person and a hero again. You have that is ship has sailed for many who would actually try to redeem and redemption has to be a personal thing for you. It has to be something that you are pursuing because you feel it's the right thing. You can't do it for how others will perceive you. And I thought that was remarkably well stated for Square Enix uh, as much as it possibly can be in a video game
1: I felt having not done the role quests that you're describing yet
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, I did actually quite like Fordola's redemption story the start of it that we got yeah. in 5 is
0: it 4.1 Stormblood uh, point. well it starts in 4.1 yeah.
1: yeah in the 4.1 stuff that we got I actually did like that as a start of a redemptive story yep because in my eyes, there's three ways that a redemptive
0: story can be done. Uh, you can Vegeta it, which is the wrong way. Where, where he just hangs it, around for a while and eventually sacrifices his life.
1: Where the character's just kind of there, and now he's cool, it's fine. Yeah. Um, you can make it from Chrono Trigger, where it's, we're going to see... The entire reason in excruciating depth for why the character acts this way and see what their true actual motivations for what they were doing were and see it with them and realize in this moment that they have also understood why everything they did was wrong, but they ultimately still want to do the right thing. And they are asking to help us do the right thing Mm -hmm. Um, with the direct understanding that now they fully get it. Or you can Fordola it, where it's this character is not doing this because they expect the people around them to be like, yay, you're cool. We love right. you. They're doing it because they see it as the right thing and they want to do the right thing for once.
0: Yeah. Yep. And And that's kind of what gets expounded on in the... I want to say it's it's the healer uh role quest this time around with oh brutal it's,
2: it is the healer role quest yeah it's this the time healer
0: around. and they do a good job of her because obviously all the role quests are about you know the 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 despair and the the issues that people are running into uh, that's causing more of the um, the not light wardens to pop up the um, blasphemies to pop up and her she is facing some of these difficulties of very much what we're talking about of. I'm trying to do the right thing and everywhere I go, I'm still just treated like a monster and kind of coming to terms with like, yeah, because you were a monster and not everyone is going to be quick to forgive that. But it's hot. I mean, but it is hot. I mean, and that's why I'm quick to forgive it and why she gets to go on my thirst down. Correct.
2: Hot is killing me.
0: It's hot. (laughs) Sorry, I was weird arcs, impression in there.
1: Redemptive arcs are a lot more believable
0: when the person being forgiven is hot. You know what? That is a depressingly accurate statement. Uh, mm-hmm. which probably says a lot more bad about our society than I want it to.
1: Yeah. And speaking of societies and Uh-oh. how bad they can be. Oh boy. What's our discussion for this episode?
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Duraku with just an a plus segue right there I love it all right so today on the episode I decided uh, I I'm, I'm, we're throwing the gauntlet down uh, it was obviously my week back in the in the hosts chair so I decided I want to talk about gender in Final Fantasy 14 uh, as a trans woman uh, it is obviously a topic that is very near and dear to my heart and one that I think is presented very interestingly in Final Fantasy 14. And so I thought we would break it down in terms of masculinity in Final Fantasy 14 and what it looks like, femininity in FF14 and what it looks like, and then when the two shall uh, cross. Um and I would say that's probably a lot less seen in FF14, but we will talk a little bit about the uh the crossing of the binary or the merging of the binary in ff14 because you do see some of it occasionally so so i am really excited for this topic
1: and i am mildly worried that i'm going to go off on wild tangents with this because of how pumped i am that is just Uh, fine and i would like to say before we get going with this that what i would like to do if we can is view this both through the lens of the platonic ideal like as a work as a work of media period And then also contrast that with the greater context of this is a Square Enix game and a Final Fantasy game, because I think there's a lot of value to be had from
0: looking at the difference between those two things. I think that makes sense. I'm fine with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So let's then start with masculinity in FF14, shall we? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think their take on masculinity and I'm going to let Jiraku speak more to this than I do because obviously I have long since stepped away from masculinity. Uh, but I, I do want to say, really, I think it's fascinating how they portray uh, the masculinity in this game uh, for a game that has so many heroic overtones and so many heroic feats and and, and so many of the tropes of a hero story, how much they really don't show a lot of toxic masculinity in this game. Uh, how much of their masculinity is very much grounded in almost a softer masculinity.
1: So what I think is really interesting about how FF14 portrays masculinity on the whole Mm -hmm. is that it seems to me the primary lens through which it puts a focus on masculinity is through the perspective of fatherhood. Uh, yeah. If you look at characters that... Their masculinity is a core part of who they are as a character. At yeah. least it's a focused part. We're talking, um, Raubon.
0: Yep. Through, Raubon.
1: Be, through being Pippin's father and what that is for him. We're talking Thankrid, uh, in, like we were t- mentioning earlier, the fatherhood, the relationship with Minfilia and Rain mm-hmm. and that whole, pu- uh, kettle. Yep. Um, and we get things like Hien's relationship with his dad and in a way his relationship towards Gosetsu, right. where it is this like this whole thing. Um, and I think it's really interesting because the other side of the coin that we also see is that Zenos had a shit family life and his dad sucked. Varus was like the worst dad ever. And this is directly contrasted with the other things. Or even when you look in Endwalker, um, in a huge way, uh, creation magic is just a metaphor for parenthood. Mm-hmm. It's used as that a lot. And you get that with uh, Hermes and the Medion thing. Like,
0: he's just a sad dad. I mean, <laughs> that's literally all. <laughs> and we see so much of that in, the, the, in Elpis, especially, how much... Uh, Hermes specifically treats the creations there like his children yes and I think it
1: it's an interesting thing that you can pull from that is that it is almost like a commentary on the dangers of a parent pinning a lot of their um what's the term putting their emotional anchorage onto their offspring yes Like, genuinely, if you think about it, what Hermes is doing with Medion is going, okay, daughter that I have created, save me from being depressed. Mm -hmm. And that's not a thing that you do as a parent. That's kind of really
0: fucked up to put that emotional weight on your children. I I would agree. I mean, and again, it's the similar thing that we see with with Zenos and his father. Um, It's... Uh, it is a big theme with Thancred and Reen, how Thancred puts these kind of expectations of who Minfilia was onto Reen until later in the story. Um, and
1: it's interesting because they contrast that directly with Ranjit, who mm-hmm. can't let that go. Mm-hmm. Yep, And it's this direct one-to-one of like, no, the right thing is to accept that she is her own person right. and not when you are raising a child, put this... Impose this idea onto them of who they have to be rather than accepting who they are.
0: I, I completely agree. Serena, what's your. How do you see masculinity in 14?
2: I think the views that I see, because I see a lot more stuff off on like Twitter mm-hmm. on people choosing like their favorite male, like the male presenting characters and. Basically going, this is my baby.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> but, but that's what it is. It's, it's so often is, this is my baby, not like, here's my man. You know what I mean? Here's this
2: man. Yeah. And, so. Uh, no, I'm just trying to think. Um, go ahead.
0: So I, I was just going to say, I think what's, what's interesting to me is there are basically, I feel like, two different kind of tropes of masculinity that we see in. Uh, in fourteen, and I think they're best exemplified. If you want to use scions, you could use like Raha and Stinian. If you don't want to use, Ra- I-, I think I think Raha and Um Raoban are probably the two ends of like the masculinity spectrum in Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh, but even Rauban has this gentleness to him and this emotional depth to him. Uh, I think about one of my favorite scenes in Stormblood is when you go to his home that he grew up in, and he gives you the speech about liberty or death. Effectively, um, yeah, and, and you get to see such a, a a deep and intricate part of him. And I I thought that was an interesting choice for them with Rao Ban, who is their until that moment their closest portrayal of typical westernized masculinity. Um, you know he he's huge he's strong he's protective of of the this girl who is maybe his child and maybe isn't uh or whatever like whatever he sees her as uh in the in the sultana um and until that moment, you know. Then he's, you know, of course, he's the leader of the of the war effort when that's happening, um, and he's got the the big duel. He loses an arm and has to recover and go through a hero's journey in uh, Halatali, and it is all these kinds of things that we would typically lump onto a masculine character in Western media, and then you get to that point. And we really see a very different side of him. We see this kind of very emotional Rauban, uh, which can also be seen in Western, where you know you see the moment where you break through this, the the outer shell and you get to see the, the, the kind person underneath. But I think we saw a much more 14 version of Rauban during that scene. And on the other end of that spectrum is Raha, who is as... Sarah calls him Demi-boy, and that's pretty <laughs> pretty accurate for him. He is he a soft boy. Um, but at the same time, it goes the opposite way for him, where he has mostly, he's nervous, and he's always fidgeting with his hands, and he gets really excited about things, and he's cute. And that's sort of his, his gimmick. And then we get the moment in Endwalker, where the Exarch comes back out, and he takes control of the situation in Thavnair, and you get to see like oh, so that's him being a man like that's his, you know, his, his showing masculinity is his him in that moment of taking leadership and, and ownership of the moment and, and, and directing people and guiding people. And I, I just think it's interesting that both of their portrayals of masculinity on uh, either end of their spectrum stays so far out of the realm of what we would call toxic masculinity in, in the West I think it's very interesting that that a, uh, a game made by a Japanese company does such an interesting job of staying away from that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think you can almost read it as a,
1: like, I guess critique would imply it's intentionally targeted, and I don't know that it is. But it's really fascinating to me how they managed to avoid almost all of the, like, really aggrandized tropes that you get with the, uh, hyper masculine. Like, if you think about Western media characters that you could throw in as like, these are like stereotypical, like manly man characters, right. right? You throw down like shit, like James Bond all the way to like, I guess you would say like, um, fucking what's his name from the Witcher? Geralt. 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 Like, like this kind of embodiment of the rugged, uh, Depending on your definition, womanizing, like this very un unpleasant individualist hyper like brah, rah. Right.
0: We need a we need person. a name for this 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 masculinity scale. I'm going to suggest the Duke Nukem scale. Duke Nukem. <laughs> there you go. How, 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 there like, you go. It, it ranges from rahatia to Duke Nukem. That's the scale. And I, I think it's interesting that
1: if you look at FF14. Every single character that would be rating high on our Duke Nukem scale is an antagonist. (laughs) Yes. Well, and (laughs) there are
0: none that aren't,
1: even in the case of Thancred, who is described as being flirty.
0: Yeah, he's a flirt and he's a a, a womanizer. And you know what I mean? It comes out that that's purely an espionage technique. Right. It's it's an espionage technique. And also, he actually just is that, like, charming and flattering and and handsome. Like, you're like, oh, okay. (sighs)
1: <sighs> yeah. And so it's like it's interesting because if you look at characters that exhibit like the traditionally like toxically masculine traits that you would talk about it's like all of them are antagonists and most of them aren't important characters at all. Yeah. It, like, it's
0: usually like a throwaway character.
1: It's like shit like Dos maga from the Arcanist Guild quest line who's just a really awful pirate man. Right.
0: He sucks. But like, yeah, even their important male antagonists, right? Like, like uh, I'm thinking, Lollardito, tlegi Adledgi, Ilbird. They all have their problems, but they're seldom like toxic masculinity. They're they're much more, it's more yeah, frequently it's, like it's greed or it's blind ambition or it's 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 more typical hero villain faults. And, I mean, Ilbert's an
1: interesting case because he's very clearly, like, you could see him and Raubon as dual expressions of Alamigo. Right. Uh, where neither of them, it's it's like an allegory for how hard it is to accept the fucked up shit that went down with Alamigo. And neither of them handles it terribly well in mm-hmm. the grand scheme, depending on how you view it. That's my, my personal take on it, is that I don't think either of them did it handled it terribly well i would because agree but- basically gives up and ilbert goes i will destroy alamigo if it gets rid of Garlemald.
0: right well and i i mean i would agree that neither of them handle it particularly well but i think that's also a commentary to say how are you supposed to handle that well what does handling that well mean yeah
1: definitely fair my personal point my personal stance on it is that uh we should have gone to alamigo instead of ishgard quite frankly
0: I mean, um, I would agree with, with that. I, I think that but, from a storytelling standpoint, that makes way more sense. Although I will say that I guess the difference was like going to Alamigo means open war with Ishgar or with Garlamald, whereas Ishgar didn't. I, I will also give um, Bond
1: the credit that he was tr- partially trying to do that.
0: He was. And, uh, and I, I liked it from the standpoint of like, Okay, we've gathered all of our allies now. Like we have Ishgard as an ally now. Now we actually can consider open war with Garlemald. Like we aren't just going to get slaughtered. It's not going to be 2.0 all over again where we I, where we got it, dunked on for most of it until the Warrior of Light showed up and went, mm, "Sorry, I'm here now."
1: Yeah, I but I would I would buy that more if anyone in Eorzea had gone into Ishgard to help Ishgard with that mentality. And it weren't just, we kind of got forced to go there by circumstance. And then because we are who we are now, Ishgard is no longer a dictatorship theocracy that wants a war for no reason.
0: Right. Well, it's interesting when you, when you mention that, because like it is one of those things where I I wish I could think of a a really good, okay. uh, So uh, so I'm going to use star Wars as a comparison point. In episode four of Star Wars, Luke uh, uh, goes and meets Ben Kenobi, uh, finds out about the Jedi, and gets a lightsaber that he never uses for the rest of the movie, infuriatingly. Uh, and they are trying to get to Alderaan so that you know Ben can go do something important. Uh, along the way, they find out Alderaan's been destroyed, and they accidentally get pulled onto the Death Star, uh, and uh, they almost completely accidentally break out Leia while, and and escape from the Death Star. Uh, ben dies, and we know our hero's journey is on the way. But Luke's participation in the story is almost accidental at that point. But because he's the hero, he saves the day. Uh, versus episode six, where now Luke is a Jedi, and he's super important, and he's leading the attack on, uh, or helping to lead the attack on... Uh, Endor, and he's got to go face Vader, and and finally Emperor Palpatine, and all this important stuff. And that's kind of what we see when you talk about us kind of accidentally going to Ishgard. You're right. At that point in the story, while we are famous, because we, of course, defeated the Black Wolf, and that's pretty awesome, uh, we're not yet who we are now in Endwalker. We're We're still just a person at that point. We just happen to be one who can't be affected by being tempered, and we're also... strong not incredibly strong at that point but we're strong i mean we had a body count of six gods at that point we 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 had done fairly well for ourselves um but at that point we were like a scion you know we were on that level of power and so then the red the bloody banquet I i want to say the red wedding the bloody banquet happens And we have to run away to Ishgar. So we kind of, by accident, just like Luke getting pulled onto the Death Star, we kind of stumble into the next story. But because we're the hero, we're also able to help there. And then in Stormblood, it's much more purposeful. Someone does some fucked up shit to make the war begin. But, okay, well, the war began. Thank God we've got the Warrior of Light on our side. That'll be helpful. And we are, of course, a major part of that. And by the time of Shadowbringers, we have now gone from being... Just accidentally stumbling into things as a as a as a, a, a bumbling hero to uh, well no now people are summoning us specifically to other worlds to help them out because we're super cool hero people and now you get to Endwalker and you get to have the badass walking on sequence when everyone's fighting and they're kind of getting beat up and they look and they go oh my god there's our hero and you're doing like the super cool slow person walk. <laughs> explosion goes off behind you but you don't look at it cuz you're a badass and you already know what explosions look like so you don't it doesn't bother you at all that's like I love that progression of our warrior of light as a as a hero and I think that the uh, the uh, it's a long way of saying I think that's why we went to Ishgard first I suppose I suppose
1: um but I I mean I want to point out I was speaking not from the perspective of why we would do this narratively right. or the Warrior of Lights perspective. I was more specifically meaning I think that Ilbert had a point when he said Raubon, why the fuck are you
0: doing nothing? Well, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, that I, was I,
1: mostly what yeah, I
0: meant. That's you know what? That's a reasonable take on it. When you and when you say that both of them neither of them handled it particularly well, I would I would say that's true. Cause you know what Rauban didn't do? He didn't sacrifice everybody. He didn't go high
1: you know, but he, he did also not. didn't like go, fuck it, blood for the furnace, let's go. Yeah. Which is the Alamegan solution to a lot of problems
0: in their history. Sure was. It's almost like when Garlemald took over, they didn't have a very hard time taking over because maybe there was a war or something.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Neil, that's another thing. That's an interesting thing to note. Um, when you talk about the toxic masculinity in FF14 and like masculinity as a thing, uh, the ratio of leadership is unlike any other game I've ever played. Basically, I would agree. Because if you look through, all right, let's look at the full list of leaders of political leaders. All in, right, in this setting. All right, Gridania. Kane right? Gridania, yep. uh, It's. Senna. Yes, Kane Sena. Is mm-hmm. it the word is hearers? They're hearers, right? Hearer. Yep or seed, seed seer oh, seed seed seers yeah yeah yes mm-hmm. and the the leaders of this is not a familially inherited role this nope. is just the fucking the elemental say okay yep leaders kane senna limsa 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 this is a meritocracy at least on paper yep uh why is merrill been charged well one because she won and two cuz she
0: shot her dad for being a traitor ass bitch coward correct uh, why why uh, is she the leader because who's going to tell her no yeah why is she leader because the
1: masculine figure that was in charge was wrong and yeah. we got rid of that guy in favor of this one
0: <laughs> specifically this lady she got rid of that gun. guy yeah she yes. did
2: <laughs> with, yes, with that's, prejudice. but that's my
1: point that's my point yeah um and then you look at uh olda mhm um Nanamo's in charge. She, you could make an argument that she's a figurehead. Uh, I think I've, that early especially on, at in the 14, beginning of the game, she is. Yeah, she's absolutely a figurehead early on, and yep. then as things, as time goes on, she starts to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but like again, like her pr- dad was the previous leader, and he was probably assassinated. Um. And the political machine of da is banking on her being weak and a woman, and she's not weak. And I think that part of that is drawn, like part of her not being weak is drawn from her femininity in the way that they portray her character in this.
0: Uh, And then you look at Ishgard um,
1: and it's like, yeah, Amoric's a dude, but like the previous leader, uh, was an archbishop, which, uh, I mean, he's the Pope, but they don't want to have a video game where you kill the Pope. So he's an archbishop. Right. um, which we have given what I've seen about Ishgard's clergy, there is zero reason to suspect that that would ever be a woman in the archbishop's seat. Yep. Uh,
0: and we murdered him because we, he was bad. Yeah, he was. He was real bad. To be fair, we didn't murder him. We, we murdered him. It's we fine. should
1: have. It's fine. We we killed him. It's fine.
0: Okay. Fair enough.
1: Um. And then you look at Alamigo, where the leadership now, like the leadership was, we had a king. How did that go for us? Oh, it went really bad. The man in charge went crazy with power and paranoia and started killing everyone. So then Mm -hmm. we all rose up and killed him. And then the empire run by an evil man who is the emperor came and fucked everything up. Yeah. Whose military was led by... A guy who was a dick and a monster, um and sh- speaking of fucking bad redemption arcs, um and then, like we look at Doma, and it's like, okay, well, Doma had a king and now has that king's son in mm-hmm. charge, but uh, like maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it really seems to me like he and leans a lot on Yugiri
0: in that. Mm-hmm. And he that, does. I, I think I thought Doma was interesting because it was actually the only kind of inversion of that, where it had a female leader in Yotsuyu who was awful. Like yes, she was vile. Um, yes. and then and then you get Hien, who is much like Raha, a very soft boy. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, and and I think he's interesting. I liked Hien as a, as a character. Uh, but I think you're right. I think they even as Hien is in charge of um of Doma yugiri is a very big part of that and um and i i
1: think it's interesting that they like make it very clear how much he leans on her advice and input mm-hmm. and things like this um and then you look at sui no sato it's led by the ruby princess yep um the confederacy are led by a dude whose yep. name i can't remember off the top of my head um and i don't think we're explicitly told the gender of the are we told that Kugane has an emperor specifically? I was of the impression it's... I uh, we we're given are. given a gender-neutral title and then never told who inhabits that title.
0: Yeah, I, I actually have no idea off the top of my head. they, they have...
1: Guy. They have what is essentially a shogun.
0: Yeah. Which, well, if we want to
1: say that they definitely just hard-copied feudal Japan, um, then, like, yeah, it would be a... Uh, for Peter sure. Arnold. Yeah, it'll be a man for sure, but at the same but time we don't they've... know that they do that they they like to change things from that all well, the time with everything else
0: right well there's there's women in the uh seki which there were not in uh yeah. in, 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 the in, in Shinsugumi. history Shinsugumi. yeah exactly shinsengumi uh, sorry did yeah. What, yeah what was i what did i say? Sekisegumi. segumi what is that from well
1: no the seki segumi is in ff14 but the shinsengumi is Shinsug- the, in, in,
0: in real life yes that's yeah you. they're that's the correct. group that the yeah uh, but, and then, I mean, you go to, uh, even in the first, and of course, the Exarch is the leader of the Crystarium until the end of Shadowbringers, and, I mean, de facto, Lena's running things at that point. Um, yeah. So, an- another uh, interesting female leader. Um, I-, I think they have a very, in my opinion, a pretty strong track record with femininity in Final Fantasy XIV. Um Serena. I, I gotta have your take on it, though.
2: Oh, there is for the femininity in Final Fantasy fourteen. I think it presents its way. It has a few different ways that it can present its way because we do have those that are the overly feminine. Not like overly feminine, but like extreme feminine. And then we do have those that... Like Fordor Wow. Fordol- mm. Fordola? Yeah, I can't say her name right now.
0: <laughs> Miss Fordola Remlupin?
2: Fordola.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Who... She isn't like... I don't know how to describe it. Um...
0: She's like, um, I'm having a brain fart. She's very tomboyish. She's, she's very, very badass. More
2: tomboyish that she has the more mask to mm-hmm. her, yeah. um, rather than those that you see like Yotsuyu.
0: Right. Okay. So again, we need it. We need another spectrum. We need the feminine equivalent of the Duke Nukem. So let's call it the Bayonetta spectrum, shall we? Bayonetta spectrum. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, again, we we maybe have. Um, say uh, bayonetta on the far end of that spectrum and on the far other side of that spectrum you have someone like fordola Mm
2: -hmm. go
0: ahead i was just saying i think it's wonderful to have like there is representation all along that spectrum oh yeah in final fantasy fourteen uh and i I think their range of feminine characters that they show is unbelievable in 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 fourteen and it's kind of representative of in western audiences we have a oh how can I say this nicely uh we have something of a limited description of femininity we have you've you've got basically butch and bitch like that's yeah that's basically basically. the 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 two you get you've you've got you've got you know uh lumberjack or lumberjane and uh princess like the like you know what i mean there's Seldom do you get someone who's just kind of dead in the middle, and it more so nowadays, obviously, than you used to. But uh, our Western media tends to give a very binary view of women. Um, and, and of- I think it's
1: really interesting how FF14 handles this, doubly given that it's a Japanese game. I, I, I mean,
0: would oh agree yeah. with that, yeah. Yeah, right. if
1: you if you put it in the broader context of like what it is in the Final Fantasy series, and then as a japanese game it's really interesting because i think on all three counts ff14 goes harder than anything else anywhere that i know of compared to it um yeah because like even i i maintain my firm opinion is that chocobos moogles great written female characters That's
0: that's Final Fantasy. Are you you trying to say that's the death and taxes of Final Fantasy?
1: Final Fantasy has to have a character named Sid, Moogles, Chocobos, well-written, awesome characters that are women.
0: Can confirm that Final Fantasy 15 is not a real Final Fantasy game. That is my. That is why
1: I do not like fifteen. I'm not even joking. That is a big part of it.
0: I. I, I mean, listen. I, outside of Aranea, who's there for seven seconds? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the
1: best part of Final Fantasy 15 is when you have a girl join the party for an hour. I, I would agree because in, of entirely. what
0: it changes in the party. I, I, listen, that whole sequence with Aranea is was like I don't even time... mean that one. Oh, I mean, I'm uh, sorry, Claudia's sister. Oh, you know what? That's fair. I, I'm just saying that sequence with RNA was the only time in that entire game. I remember enjoying myself.
1: RNA is awesome, but like, I just mean like the act of having a woman on the screen in the party, what it brings to the dynamic is in, like, because final fantasy is about a diverse group coming together to save the world. Basically like that's every single final fantasy game that has a plot. The plot is a diverse group of people come together to save the world. Yeah. And you can't have a diverse group of people when it's four guys that were friends from like childhood.
0: Can you, can you imagine? Together. Yeah. Can you imagine if FF 14, if, if the scions were like seven here males,
1: it's just copy paste Ardbert.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're just like, well, wow, that's just, this, this that's one's terrible. Ardbert,
1: except he's a Highlander. This one's Ardbert, except he has white highlights. Yeah, exactly. I, like God, you you know, if you think about it though, actually, that's part of what makes Ardbert so interesting is that he is the only character in the entire game that is that
0: uh that is that is that what, is white here man that is that is basically yeah yeah white bread uh <laughs> uh here other game protagonists. He's the only character in the entire game that design-wise
1: is that. And that's what makes his whole character journey so powerful, is it's, this is what happens. You know, actually, that's a really interesting thing to think about, because if you talk about, like, that kind of character design in any kind of Western game, they're typically, like, a hyper-masculine character. Like, we're talking high on the Duke Nukem scale. Right. Uh, And Ardbert's entire story that we see in uh, Shadowbringers is about him not being allowed to do that. Because hmm. how does someone high on the nu- Duke Nukem f- if you're high on the Duke Nukem sc- scale, you interact with the world through violence and sex. Yep, That's And pretty- Ardbert cannot uh, talk, he can do nothing but watch and talk to one person.
0: And to be fair, no one in Final Fantasy 14 gets to interact through sex. Except, mm-hmm. for, in the, except for in the ERP community, where you do nothing else. <laughs> um, I disagree, but
1: explicitly, as shown in the game, yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's what I mean. Like, there's uh, if you were to just take the hints of the game, ain't no one fucked ever in in a theorist. Uh, Thankrid. Uh, well, yeah, thank yeah, I guess. Thancred. Okay, you know what? Thankrid's the exception. Thancred. That's fair. That's reasonable. Thank Thankred has definitely gotten busy a few times, or he says he has could be that one. Um
1: but yeah, when, uh, when you cut to a scene during the bloody banquet and Thancred is surrounded by chicks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I uh, don't
1: think it's just him saying it anymore.
0: That's true. He uh he uh if you have to put up or shut up, he put up. Correct. <clears throat> so, yeah, uh masculinity and and femininity, I think they do a, a decent job of showing both. They obviously have some a lot that was is left to be desired in the other parts of the gender spectrum, whether it be non-binary or trans. Uh, there is definitely a lot of uh, a lot to be desired uh, because we do not see very much representation uh, in this world in any real meaningful ways. Um, but ideally, that is something that would continue to be addressed with time. Um, I am choosing to hope
1: that Varshan is a foot in the door working towards that concept of exploring identity. oh, because it is accurate to say they say it multiple times. Dragons do not have gender
0: they don't that's this true.
1: concept is not directly applicable to them, yep
0: mm-hmm. and
1: Varshan has now been in three different bodies.
0: Oh, if we see Femvarshan show up at some point.
1: So I think that it's, like, it's a long shot, but I do see that that is an avenue they could use to pursue exploring that in the game. Oh, Baby yeah. steps.
2: Baby steps, but that's a
1: possibility. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. It, and is- especially when you when the only other there is exactly one reference in all of the final fantasy series that I know of to a character being anything close to trans adjacent and it's FF five where Oh, Ferris uh, having not played five, but had Ferris's character and the approach to Ferris explained to me,
0: it could be a lot better. Uh, Well, listen, I mean, it came out in the early 90s. It was not the best time for trans representation anywhere, much less Japan. Uh, yeah, but I'm uh,
1: not I'm not indicting them for that. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, when we look at anything that does show up in 14, we, we should put it in the broader context of this is a Japanese RPG right. in the Final Fantasy series.
0: Yeah, Uh, and it, it is one of those things where you uh, you would hope over time that that would be something that would be improved upon uh we're definitely not there yet in 14 so while i do applaud them for their i would say diverse uh presentation of both masculinity and femininity um they definitely have some work to do on outside the binary i have a question for you Please. but this is a, this is
1: a genuine question i want your actual opinion on this this is this is going to sound like a shit post but it's not i swear okay If you take FF14 exactly as it is right now, not any different at all, okay. next patch we get trans representation. Would you rather not get it or get like really clumsily, badly written, heavy handed, bad trans representation in the next patch? Would you rather have
0: none or that? You, uh, boy, that is a... That is a uh, hard question to to answer. So, uh, uh, you know what? I'm just going to kind of talk this through. Um, I think back to how people talk now about movies like Rocky Horror Picture Show and young queers will look back on that now and say how problematic it is and how much of an issue that it is, uh, how, how much bad representation of trans people is, is in that movie. And... They say that without the context of what growing up trans in that era was like and how empowering it was to see any kind of portrayal of someone like them on the screen and how much that movie meant to the trans community in, you know, the 70s and 80s. Uh, I, I... Oh, man... And, and, and I wonder in my head if it wouldn't be kind of the same thing. like Even if it was clumsily done, how much could it mean to people to see representation of someone like them in Final Fantasy Fourteen? I think back to Andromeda, which was, I think, the poster child of a clumsy, bad implementation of a trans character. And that got absolutely lambasted and destroyed by the community. Um, so to that end... Oh man! But at the same time, it could open the door to us event to them getting it right eventually and doing it. Oh, Jaraka, why you got to ask me things like this? Because and, that's exactly what we're here for. I know it's so hard. Would I want it done badly or not done at all? Uh, I don't feel like it's
1: my place to make a hardline statement on that, which is yeah. part of why I asked you. But I feel very strongly as someone who follows closely video games. Yeah. um, We have opposite problems in the West and in Japan. Right. Where in the West, there is this that I see anyway in audiences, this prevailing mentality of perfection or nothing. Right. And um, I was seeing a thing talking about this earlier that the game Dream Daddy got fucking torn to shit um, for like the minorest of things when that game, like, you're never going to find anything that's as representative of that ever, ever, anywhere. But no one, like, if people put anything else through the comb that they put that game through, nothing else would pass either. Nothing else would pass the absurd standards that people threw on that game to tear it down yeah treat it like shit and just tear it apart um and in japan it is like the society is so the moving momentum in a society that is so drastically collect i think the term would be collectivist as opposed to individualistic yeah The Shifting the momentum of a society like that is so much more difficult and takes so much longer. Yeah. And I think that in Japan, in the Japanese media, it's too slow. Like, it's too restrictive on the, we don't want, like, it's so hard to make anything like that happen.
0: Yeah, Um, I think, I think ultimately I would want them to do it, even if they did it badly. And I say that because I think about this. I remember, I oh god, I don't even remember what anime it was. It was some anime that I watched like two episodes of, uh, but uh, in it, there's a moment where the 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 main character, the protagonist, who's a man, uh, is talking with this other girl, and he's referring to, I think he's referring to that he doesn't feel well, like he's not, uh, he's not, you know, he feels sick. But he's talking, and he but he's talking about it and talking about like dysphoria. He's talking about like, yeah, I I don't I don't I don't feel good. I don't feel like me. And she looks at him and says, and it was hilarious because I'm watching it uh, subbed, but they don't have a word for it. So I, she just goes transgender, <laughs> and I'm like, that is simultaneously a not very good joke but also the first time i've ever heard the word transgender in anime and that feels like a big deal to me.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that yeah. I mean like if anything that we do end up
1: with in ff14 has to be contrasted with i i i feel like this is a really good example of the dichotomy and the difference between the two cultures. Yeah. With Persona 4. Yeah. Uh, are are you familiar with Persona 4? I am. Okay. So I have heard frequently uh, people complaining and lambasting and attacking Persona Four for its uh, for specifically Naoto and Kanji and how those characters are managed in Persona right. Four. And I think it's really interesting because it's really what that game actually comes down to is the problems and difficulties of localization as an industry and how fucking hard it is to localize things because i've done a lot of digging into this if you look at persona 4 in its original context the actual narrative that is being done with persona 4 with all of its characters is it is about the difference like it is about chafing against societal expectations upon you right while still being able to decide if you want to go along with those expectations or not,
0: right? Yeah. my, oh, my like, own my 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 issue with Persona Four was every character's end decision is I'm just gonna go with it. Yeah, I don't think that's perfect,
1: but. That is the greater context of it. Is there like, um, what's the girl who has to take,
0: who who doesn't want to take over the family business? And her end, like, thing is like, actually, I'm just going to shut up and take over the family business. Like, (laughs) it's not a, I'm just going to
1: shut up. It's a, she discovers that she does actually value the, she values something about it that's different than what she's told.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Yukiko is told you have to inherit it because you're family. And instead, she finds different meaning in it to pull from it and that's why she decides to inherit it yeah um like sure the end result is the same but i would argue it's not because she's happy about it and she she wouldn't have been
0: she is It just that whole plot point though all those would have rung so much more like powerfully if at least one or two of them had actually ended up going against what society had expected of them
1: i think yosuke does but um regardless what i was getting at is yeah. in in persona 4 in the original version of the game the message the idea that's trying to be communicated with kanji and with naoto is i enjoy what i enjoy and i do not like that there are stereotypes and dispersions that are put upon me that i am expected to play into if i like these things right. in the case of kanji it's I want to like things that people treat as feminine.
0: I like without
1: sewing. without having to be told that I'm gay for it. Right. Um, but in the localization when they brought it to the U.S., they took it and they turned it into I'm closeted gay and trying to hide that fact through a hypermasculine thing, which is that a more compelling story? I think it is. Is that a more interesting story? I think it is. But it is not the story that existed in the original game, and it is not the story that is trying to be told within the context of this is a Japanese game aimed at a Japanese audience.
0: Right, and the problem with doing that, even though you are trying to maybe tell a more compelling story, is then the ending of it doesn't bear that out. Because it never was supposed to. Correct, exactly. (laughs) Because
1: you're taking something and trying to make it into something that it's not. And I think that this is a pro like this is what I'm talking about, this is why I'm mentioning this on this conversation about FF 14 is I feel like it's very, very, very difficult to write in representation into a game like FF 14 that won't get torn apart by one side or the other, Mm -hmm. because in the Western audiences, um, a lot of the people that I see and I'm context through like things like Tumblr, through communities like this, people's standards for what counts, As good representation in some cases are astronomical right and they're like in some cases like literally impossible to actually meet which is why I asked you would you rather have um, really bad representation or no representation because my opinion is that the only way that you get good representation is to have had really bad representation because no one is going to show up on the scene Unless we replace all of Square Enix with trans people, which is not going to happen. No, they're not going to get it right the first time perfectly. It's not going to be perfect, dead on absolutely everything that you want it to be. But I believe that we would get them trying. And all I care about with representation is did they try?
0: Right. And, And I would hope that they would... Because like listen, we saw it in the Stormblood Hildebrand quest, right? Like they are yeah. they are not anywhere close right now to yeah. being ready to deal with a trans character in their game. No. They yeah. are not they are nowhere near.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: they are closer to Ace Ventura Pet Detective than they are to actually getting it right. Um
1: The solace mm-hmm. I take is that the main scenario writers and the Hildebrand writers are not the same people.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen to that. I so yes. I would very much like to see a trans character in this game at some point. I would love to see that kind of representation. I'd settle for a non-binary character. Or I shouldn't say it that way, but you know what I mean? I, I, as a trans woman, I want to see a trans character. But <laughs> I want to see It is this... easier for the game to make a non-binary
1: character than a trans character. I 100% like, agree. Like that that, would be, that's what you're saying. That's that what you're that, saying. that would be
0: an easier thing. Because, again, that, in many cases, you could almost do in localization by changing pronouns properly... And, you know, and like, obviously the way they present this, having a character come in and and be trans, because it can be very tricky to illustrate that they are trans without making it ham-fisted, right? Like, without, think about, again, to Mass Effect Andromeda, the character who in their first conversation with you would tell you what their dead name was, and it's like... You just you literally went to a different galaxy to live as your true self. And the first thing you say to Ryder when they show up is what is, is your dead name? Are you insane? Like, who wrote this? Um, that's what you meant by Andromeda. That's exactly what I meant by Andromeda. Yeah, I, was...
1: I didn't realize you meant Mass Effect Andromeda because I put that game out of my brain. So I just assumed ah. you were talking about a like I thought I was like, was that on that show? That was like a teen drama.
0: Yeah, no. That was uh that was that was Mass Effect Andromeda and uh it's uh while they of course did update it and change it and fix it to make it not so egregious and to make it a much better representation, uh its uh, launch representation was oh my god bad. They tried. Uh, they debatably tried. Um <laughs> on paper I, they tried.
1: Yeah, on paper they tried. One of two things happened. Either they tried and they fumbled it really bad yeah. or someone at some point said, you know what will get this game positive attention?
0: Yeah, oh god. Uh, Alright, that's all we have time to talk about with gender and FF14. This might be a topic <laughs> we come back to at some point if ever we get a non-binary or, or trans character to talk about. Um, I would love if we did. I, I would be amazing be, if we did. I'd be super thrilled, and I don't mean a throwaway NPC that only appears zero in the beginning would of a have dungeon. Been, zero would have been such a good opportunity for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I. I mean, it's not even like it couldn't still be the case. Like, you know what? That's true. <laughs> we could find that out, and I would love her even more. If, and I didn't think that was possible. So, like, uh, that would be an incredible moment. Did you know that Yoshi said that he didn't think the Western audience would like Zero? Yoshi, what is the matter with you? You I mean, don't know like... us at all.
1: This is the same man who thinks healing should be boring. So he's not mm. gonna he's not
0: gonna strike a hundred. Well, you know what? That's fair. All right, we got to do this kind of quickly because we are already running late. Uh, we've got the kink of the week, Warriors of Lust Kink of the Week. Every episode, we uh, tackle a new kink, uh, talk about how to perform it safely and consensually, find out what pleasure people derive from it, and, of course, who in Final Fantasy 14 indulges in this kink. And uh, this week, uh, having last week tackled a really difficult one, uh, I thought uh, we might tackle one called uh, body modification. and that takes a lot of different forms. Um, that can be anything from tattooing and piercings to especially in role play, some you know some more extreme changes to your body. Um, so <coughs> <Fantasias. laughs> Fantasia is a, is a great example. Um, so, Let's start where we always do. Does anyone on the staff, if you're willing to admit to it, partake in uh, a little bit of B-Mod?
1: I'm trying to determine if... Because I've role-played with a whole lot of different people. And I know someone who I've done some things with. But I don't know if they count. Okay. Like, I'm trying to... Because it's been so long
0: that I'm trying to remember what actually... We did. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm, I mean, I'll say that I definitely have Serena.
2: Um, I mean, oh my, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, no. So, uh, turning arms into tentacles would count. Yes, uh, yes, I would hundred percent say that counts as a body modification. Yes, absolutely yes uh so yes uh uh okay excellent uh I, I was thinking some things like uh i know at one point um i uh kelly had a tattoo collar uh so that was uh that was fun and interesting to play with uh but i think um body modification is one of those ones that we more often see in role play than we see in real life because well obviously we only have one body to work with so Mm-hmm. i can't I can't have too much damage to it it need i need to be able to go to work with it the next day <laughs> uh but I, I think it's it's a really interesting um uh kink because I, I, our bodies to us are are something that's typically very sacred um for that exact reason we only have the one and we spend a lot of our lives trying to take care of it in different ways and keep it working the way it's designed to work. It's a very fundamental thing to the human condition. And so especially in role play, when you talk about a, a B-mod scene, whether that be with a mad scientist or any other uh, different ways that that sequence might come about, I think it's really uh, fascinating. To, I think people enjoy that idea of of going against that kind of sacred... You know, uh placing your body on a pedestal that kind of sacred cow that is keeping your body healthy and performing at it, at its at its peak, or also just more simple things like you know tattooing or piercings or stuff like that that usually you wanna have done in a sterile, clean environment by a professional versus your lover who just so happens to be feeling kinky that night,
2: mhm,
0: yeah.
1: Um, I I I I wholly agree with that. I think that that's definitely the reason why you don't see it as much no. in real circles. Yeah. Um, but I will say, uh, I think that there's something really interesting to be said psychologically about um, that. Like a lot of people. I mean, depending on how you would define body modification, right, and the exploration of it through role play. That's the first thing that a lot of people go to. Like, oh, I, I know, agree. I know multiple people who, for instance, discovered that they were trans through, like, oh yeah, no, I play a video game, I make character that's that's the other gender because uh-huh. I the totally don't relate to that. I don't, uh, I don't know. All right, Taraku, if you want to talk
0: about me, you can just talk about me.
1: I'm not directly targeting you. Okay, well, but I know multiple people that. I have I can name I won't on the podcast five different people that I know that went through this exact flow chart. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that it's like oh the instant that anything I do with this body is not permanent boom go crazy.
0: Yeah, uh I mean I think of all the times, you know, the, the question like Hey, I maybe you're not interested in doing hormones and going through transition and all of that, but if you could just press a button and suddenly be a girl, would you do it? Uh, yeah, give me that button. Where the hell's the button at? <laughs> uh, you know, what I mean, like it's it's one of those things. And and you're right. When you can experiment it with it more freely, how quickly you're suddenly willing to do more things and face some things about yourself. Listen, I'm just gonna say that Callie was. 13 years old when she got Final Fantasy 11 and she looked through all the options you could play and she looked at the hure and thought, "Well, I don't want to just play a human. That's silly." Oh, uh, they were called the Hume in, in FF11. Then she looked at the Elvon and she thought, "Okay. They're they're pretty cool. They got they, you know, they're tall and, and strong and, you know, they're they're elves. That's that, that's neat." And then she looked at the Galka and went, "No, thank you." Uh, they were the the Rugenin equivalent, but they were only men in in 11. Uh, then she looked at the Tarutaru taru and again went, "No, thank you," because they were the fell equivalent of that time. Uh, then she looked at the Mithra, the uh, the Cat Girls, uh, who would later become the Makote in FF14, and uh, you could only play a female in 11. And uh, Callie went, "Yes, please. I'd like to play one of those." And uh, Callie knew something was uh, was afoot. I would say at that point. Uh, and it is one of those things. Then it came to time for 14, and I knew I was playing a Makote. Even before I started, I knew I would play Makote, and nothing would change that. And, uh, oh boy. There were a lot of signs earlier on than I gave credit for. Huh.
1: You know, if you think about it, doesn't that mean that it's like even more ridiculous that we don't get more trans representation in settings that have high magic? It's actually
0: infuriating. Yes. I do. I think it's absolutely. I, I, I
1: never put that connection together, but like, man, wouldn't you have way more trans people if you were in a setting where it's as simple as like down one potion to see if you like this better?
0: Jiraku? I want you I want you to think about this. The in the cash shop, the picture that they use for Fantasia is a cat boy turning into a cat girl. Hmm. I didn't realize that. <laughs> I never paid attention.
2: Yeah, it is.
0: <laughs> or it, it's either a cat boy or a Hume boy. I don't remember what, or a here boy. But it's 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 a boy turning into a cat girl. And see, I had thought it was a rugadin into a lalafell. No, it is a uh, it is a boy turning into a cat girl. And um, yeah. It, it, if there's a more not a more accurate representation of what FF14 did for the trans community, I don't know it. <laughs> 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 because that's exactly what it did.
1: Uh, <laughs> we are certainly the gayest and transist community any video game has. Yeah that's, yeah,
0: that's that's very true. Uh all right, uh who in Final Fantasy 14 definitely indulges in some body modifications? Zero. Zero. <laughs> Zero. Cannon. Yeah. Hard yeah. canon already. I I I were establishing it as canon. Zero's trans for sure, 100%. Um body modification minimum. Definitely at minimum, canon. at mm-hmm. minimum. Uh, one hundred percent. She I think is.
2: So. We've talked about this. Yashthola is like almost on everything.
0: She is, she is, Runar,
1: on almost Runar all. Of has been permanently marked by Yashthola.
0: Somewhere, <laughs> you, you, I I think she has gone for the tattoo collar on on yeah. Yeah. she's done uh, something. A hundred percent. Buns uh, in with
2: the fur. hmm
0: Definitely. Uh, let's see. Any other good like any scientist characters? They would definitely fit the mold here. Uh, yeah. uh,
1: that that horrible asshole in Garlemald. Oh,
0: oh, the one who, who takes your soul. The one who out. rips your soul out of your body.
2: Uh-huh. Who, who would
0: have thought that would become a plot point later?
2: Mm-mm.
0: Uh, yep. He he definitely has done some body modification, and so is uh. Oh, so that is, was that was the, what
1: that was wasn't
0: it? Yeah, correct. It's the, That's that's why they have that that technology to take your soul out of your body because he made it. Uh. Yotsuyu as we saw with uh It's like all my name days have come at once. What's his face? Was she, was she the one that did that to him? I thought it was uh he worked, guy. He worked for her, so I presume it was him it was her. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sure was... I'm sure she didn't do it herself. She probably had someone do it. I thought I thought it was
1: uh, Zeno's Xenos who did that to him. Maybe. Well, I thought didn't didn't
0: he work for Yotsu? Yeah,
1: but I thought it was like Xenos that was like, nah, this dude sucks. Do this. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, he did, he was terrible. To be fair, I I remember vividly uh, as much as I, like his character was weird to me, and I was like, "Why do you keep showing up? This is weird." But then the moment Grin-
1: oh. Grinpot is like one to one lifted from a, the Full Metal Alchemist video game that Squaresoft put out on the PS2.
0: That is very funny. I like his scene. Uh, after you take uh after you win the uh, Natum <laughs> in the Azim step and you've literally just gotten the entirety of the aura of the zela behind you and that's when he chooses to show up and like start spouting his bullshit and i was like oh man you couldn't have shown up like if you'd come like 20 minutes earlier you'd have no problem right now mm-hmm. right uh oh, poor dude uh rip Anyway, that's going to be it for this episode (laughs) of the Warriors of Lust. Thank you all so much for being here and for joining us tonight. We appreciated having you along to talk a little bit about gender in Final Fantasy XIV, a a topic that is, of course, near and dear to my heart. Uh, Appreciate having you here. We are going to wrap it up there for tonight. Uh, This episode is getting edited tonight and scheduled to post tonight because Kelly is going out of town. On Friday, she's traveling for her new job, uh, heading down to Atlanta to cover the League of Legends World Championships. Um, and if you want to see my coverage and my reporting, you will be able to see uh, the articles that I write while I'm down there. Uh, they will be on Sports Illustrated. I am well, proud I would announce- just like to say,
1: big congratulations. Thank you. Um, I wish I knew enough about the professional scene of League of Legends to make a shit post right now, but I don't <laughs> because I hate it so much.
0: Yeah, I understand. I understand.
1: But uh, I am so happy for you to get to do that. That's a sick opportunity. Thank and you. I might get over my hatred of League's professional scene long
0: enough to read your articles. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Uh, I've been uh, yep. I'm gonna work on that, and I'm gonna have an even bigger announcement about my uh, career trajectory next episode, I believe. So I'm uh, very excited to, to share that all with you. That will make this announcement look like nothing. So uh, That's incredibly exciting. Yeah, there's some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline here. Uh, but yes, uh, so I will be uh, uh, out of the pocket both this weekend and next weekend covering the world championships. And uh, that, however, that should not affect the release schedule for warriors of lost either this episode or the next one next time you join us not only will i be able to announce that serena is going to be married it will be mr and mrs Hema. maybe
2: i'll uh, share my vows with you
0: i would we would love that that would be amazing. that would be awesome yes uh so uh look forward to that uh serena Please, we wish you uh, both absolutely the best. I hope your wedding day goes wonderfully, and I hope you have such a wonderful time on your honeymoon. Now, I guess next episode might be a little bit late because you'll be on your honeymoon, though, right? Yes. Okay, so when when Serena returns from her honeymoon is when the next episode will be. Um, And yeah, does anyone else have anything they need to plug before we wrap it up tonight?
1: Uh, well, I would just like to say that for the next episode, uh, I will actually have the most important news of all of us. Yes, oh. even more important than uh, the wedding and wow. the sick job. That's incredible. Yes, I'll be hosting the episode.
0: Uh, ah, yes, indeed, that is true. You will be hosting. That, so. That's the most important announcement that I will be hosting. That 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 is true. Hard hard to argue with. Yep. All right. Serena, uh, you got that's anything
2: That's way for him. Uh, <laughs> I can't even keep important. I won't have any important announcements.
0: Congratulations again, Serena. Other
2: than yeah. that I got married.
0: <laughs> are you are you are you kind of looking forward to having nothing important to announce for a little bit? Because that's how I felt after my wedding. Yes. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh all right everybody. Make sure you check out our uh, merch shop over at streamlabs.com slash escalia E-S-K-A-L-I-A slash merch. You can get some Warriors of Lust merch over there in the uh in the store. Uh also make sure you check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash escalia. Uh will you uh if you Uh, give on the Patreon. You get access to our uh, pre-show that we do every week, and that releases on Thursdays. You'll also get the episodes of Warriors of Lust two days early. You'll get them on Fridays instead of on Sundays. So make sure you check us out over on Patreon, and Patreon is, of course, used to fund the Warriors of Lust podcast. Uh, Also, if you're going to be in um, uh, Las Vegas in July for the fan festival you're going to want to let us know because uh at least one maybe two maybe three of the warriors of lust will be out uh, at fan fest this year we're very excited to be there and to get to meet some fans uh for the first time it should be uh, a great time we will have uh information about an official meetup at some point just keep your uh keep your uh i don't say your ears peeled because that's not right uh keep your Eyes open. Eyes open. Yeah, that, that sounds right. Um, uh, about For more information about that, I want to thank both my hosts, uh, the insatiable Jiraku Drake and the temptress of fate, Serena Hima, for uh, everything that they do and for being a part of this show and uh, for hanging out with me uh, every episode. We are very much looking forward to our next episode which will be in likely three weeks time uh, so that uh, Serena can have time to get back from her uh, honeymoon and I can recover from traveling from worlds and the inevitable case of COVID that I will catch in the process. So uh, We'll see you all uh, for the next episode. Have a wonderful night. Goodbye everybody. The Warriors of Lust podcast is part of the Limit Break Radio Network and created by the support of its listeners, including patrons like Cleric Korn, Robbie Landis, Shira Heartslot, Karskjold Brighter, Tilly Hart, and Kiona bar Kimfin. Views and opinions expressed in this show are solely those of Callie Page, Serena Hima, and Jiraku Drake, and are in no way affiliated with Square Enix. Opening and closing themes provided by Kurai Kuromu. Check them out on Twitter at Kurai Kuromu. If you want to support the Warriors of Lust podcast, check out our Patreon at patreon.com/escalia, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at wolcastxiv.